Come on. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step by step from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show. The strong, the powerful Rick Kaler has returned to Money Savage. Welcome back, Rick. Thank you, George. Good to be back with you. Yes. Rick is a financial advisor. He is a certified financial therapist. If I'm correct, Rick, you were the first fee-only advisor in South Dakota. Is is that right? You have a good memory. Yes. Yeah, that, uh, we, I, in fact, I was the first um, certified financial planner in South Dakota. Okay, nice, nice, and, nice. Uh, so it's not hard to be first in South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. So, <laughs> so refresh your memory a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your personal life and some more about your work and why you do what you do. Yeah. Well, I, I got into uh, financial planning, gee, back in 1979. I thought I invented it. <laughs> I found out that I didn't. There was a college that had been started five years before. So uh, that's how I ended up becoming the first CFP. You were close. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, just have uh, been growing that. I was uh, in commercial real estate and a certified general commercial appraiser prior to that. And it's been a slow migration into uh, fee-only financial planning. So I've fortunately been uh, able to um, move into the ideology, which was, I think, fee-only was probably the serve the, the consumer the best. Um, so it's, uh, it's been a growth from there. And along the way, I got very interested in, um, uh, behavioral change and, um, therapy and the blending of psychology with, uh, financial planning, which, um, is, uh, really taking off in the last uh, decade. It's, um, I mean, there's research that's been done by, uh, uh Daniel Kahneman, who won a Nobel Prize in economics in 2002. And the funny thing is he's a psychologist. And his research showed that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally. And when I came across that research, I thought, you know, this is kind of amazing because as a financial planner, I never received any training in, in behavioral change or even communications much less emotions and how the brain works and, and um, <clears throat> neuroscience. And uh, psychologists, mental health providers don't receive any training in money. Right. So you have this huge professional gap, and it's in the gap where all of us live. So that's what we're trying to do with financial therapy is to bring that together. I appreciate that. You know, it's it that's pretty wild that ninety percent of all financial decisions are made emotionally. And I mean, gosh, what that's seem obviously with that in mind, you would think that 
that this growing discipline of financial therapy would have been for, around for a lot longer, but here, here we are. So this professional gap that you're talking about, it's, it, you're, you're helping to close that. But then that, it's, it's the classic behavior gap between what I know and then what I actually do. And that's really <laughs> what, what, what it is that you're working on. Exactly. And, the, and George, is why financial literacy, by and large, doesn't work. Um, because we know a lot. And the problem is we have a real hard time doing it. And I think something that's really easy to uh, relate to this is um, uh, uh, weight. You know, we know as uh, Americans, uh, two-thirds of us are overweight. And you would think then what we need to do to solve that is more information on calories and fat grams and uh, eating uh, healthy diets. And yet, how much information's out there right. on that? Right. You know, I mean, it's everywhere. Right. Uh, ask 10 people about, well, how do you maintain a, a healthy weight? And I'll bet nine of them are going to say, well, you need to eat right. You need to watch your calorie intake. And they know exactly what to do. It's not that we need more information. But the, the problem is only what three out of 10 of us do it. And so there's the big disconnect between knowing and doing exactly as you said. And that carries right on through to finance. I mean, how many people, if you ask them, well, how, how would you build wealth? Or, you know, how, how do you, uh, would you live on what you make? I don't think too many people are going to have a hard time answering that. And yet, um, probably... I mean, 70% of Americans are hand to mouth yeah, and uh, 15% of Americans are insolvent and that's probably a little bit higher right now. So we, we really struggle. I mean, only 9% of Americans have saved over a hundred thousand dollars. So we have a real disconnect between the, uh, the knowing and the doing, and that's the, the 18 inch path between the brain and the heart. The 18-inch path between the brain and the heart. I like that right there. I'm taking all these notes. Technically, it's even shorter. It's probably the two-inch path between the cerebral cortex Mm -hmm. and the limbic system. (laughs) All right. So, so you've you've been at this for a while, and you're you're clearly a thoughtful person, and you spend a lot of time researching and trying to trying to put a dent in this problem. So. How, 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 how are you counseling people to, 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 to close this behavior gap? Well, (laughs) that's not a soundbite, George. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, a person has got to start looking at, uh, drilling down and looking at the deeper reasons behind the uh, disconnect between what I want to do and what I do. And, and it really takes um, some introspection. Uh, it's much more than, well, you know, every time I try to set a budget, something comes in through and blows it. Well, maybe we're not setting the budget right. And even if we do that, there is typically some type of emotion that's anchoring the behavior. 
So by that, I mean, I'm thinking of a lady I worked with once that was overspending and overspending greatly on the credit card, like $30,000, $50,000 of debt. And um, when, when we really started inquiring and having her inquire what was going on, she was able to, to start to tie out that when she was really feeling sad is when she went shopping. But she wasn't that aware of it. She wasn't like, oh, I'm sad, I'm going to go shop. Uh, these emotions come up and we're not even conscious of them many times and then we go act out to try and um, um, make them go away. And that's, um, that happens a lot with uh, making poor financial decisions. So it's really... Um, starting a path of wondering uh, what's behind doing that. What are the thoughts that are going on my, in my head when I'm when I'm making a really poor decision? And if we can let go of the thoughts and find the emotion, that's going to um, that's going to start giving us a lot of information. And here's the crazy thing about this. And I'm a real left brain guy, right? The first time a psychologist ever talked to one of our our trade organizations I walked out at the meeting going what's he doing here or number <laughs> crunchers but there's something really powerful that happens when we can separate a thought from a feeling because uh, we spend most of our life trying to resist feeling feelings especially difficult ones and the average difficult feeling will dissipate in 45 to 90 seconds when it's felt and the other side of feeling that feeling is clarity and it reconnects the cerebral cortex with the amygdala or the limbic system. So if we were on video, I would show you, I'd make a fist and I would show you that, that your fist with your thumb in the middle is like your brain. And when we... Uh, are triggered, uh, it actually, um, the chemical disengages our thinking brain with our limbic system. And that's why we go ballistic, or that's why when you're talking with somebody who's, quote, triggered, logic is going to get you nowhere, you know, probably hit. Right. <laughs> so... What has to happen is that chemical has to, to drain away and the brain needs to, to – the thinking brain needs to come back online. And this is what in part is happening when we feel a feeling that we are starting to clear out the amygdala and it brings clarity. And people who make good financial decisions, while they probably can't walk you through the way – of doing this that I did, um, you know, they, you hear this, that somebody who, that makes a good financial decision, you've got to separate the emotion from the action right. <laughs> or, you know, you just can't be emotional. Well, what they're saying is you've, you really have to identify the emotion so that you don't let the emotion drive the action. So people that make financial decisions really are able to separate that. They're able in a nanosecond to go, 
wow, I am scared to death. Sit with that and then thinking, say, and I'm not going to sell out my stock portfolio. But the person that's not in touch with that is, will sell out their, their portfolio because they're, they're full. The, the fear, the anxiety is so great that that brings the relief. And yet they're not aware of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that that's all extremely valuable right there. And it seems to me that, that all too often we there's talk about trying to overcome feelings or, or get rid of fears or whatever it might be when in fact probably a more appropriate or correct response would be to to recognize them and feel them and to for lack of a better term celebrate them and then move on and don't act upon them yeah you are exactly right because we are we are not going to resist uh, feelings away right we're not going to uh eradicate them from the system uh what that does really is just bury them until the day that at some point in time uh they are going to come forth with all their very many buried siblings (laughs) (laughs) and it's going to be quite a party (laughs) yeah yeah i think we we all know people who who bottle things up and then one day one day yeah well I uh, I was steeped in that uh, particular mode. You know, that's how we did it in my family growing up. <laughs> so, so this whole, I remember the first time somebody told me about the practice of mindfulness and it almost, I almost thought that's so obvious and that seems like that, like that's, that's an actual thing because I, I do fancy myself a pretty mindful person, and I, I like to think we, we should ask my friends and family if that's actually true or not. But how, 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 how many people out there do you think are just really not aware of how their feelings are impacting their actions? Yeah. Well, I think it's the majority. I think it's the majority of uh, Americans. Uh, I I don't believe being mindful is um, normal, and you know I don't. It doesn't appear to be the way the brain is wired, or we would all be naturally inherently mindful. True. So I think if you're listening to this and you're not mindful, don't beat yourself up because that makes you normal. Um, I certainly <laughs> I wasn't born mindful. Uh, and if you ask my wife and close associates, <laughs> sure. they might might not think I am really that much of a mindful guy. And because it it's a practice, and it is it is it's pretty easy for me to not be mindful to go back on autopilot and to get back into my stuff. <clears throat> So um, I think mindfulness is a practice. And when we, uh, when I used to do financial therapy workshops, it would be like a five and a half day workshop. And we would uh, do um, uh, mindful eating, you know, during, during the meals. And we would also do some type of meditation before we started every session. 
And it was some type of mindfulness practice. And at, at the end of whatever the exercise was, maybe it was a body scan where you're just scanning your body for sensations or it was a walking meditation, but it was something to uh, turn our attention inward to, to see what's, what's going on. And I would um, uh, ask the, the folks, because the name of the workshop was the Financial Integration Workshop, and I would ask them, I said, so what does this meditation exercise have to do with money? Right. I mean, after all, you're at a financial workshop, right? And of course, after a few few times, they started to know the answer that it's 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 a huge part of making sound financial decisions because we've got to separate the thoughts from the feelings to start being able to bring the cerebral cortex online. So if 90% of all our financial decisions are made in the limbic system, um, we we need to um, first be aware of that, be aware of that limbic system person inside of us that's making these decisions. And then at appropriate times, we need to bring online that thinking part. But that takes effort. The reason that we don't spend a lot of time in this, the cerebral cortex is it takes a lot of energy and time and thought to be there. Nice. So, you know, yeah, I, I can. The brain was designed that way that um, when you're in the middle of the road and a semi truck is bearing down on you, it's not the time to engage the cerebral cortex. Right. <laughs> right now, we should not be bringing the thinking part online. <laughs> So it's it's not a bad thing <laughs> that no. we, we have this limbic system that can make split decisions, but yeah. sometimes it can get programmed out of whack when it comes to financial decisions. Yeah, I appreciate all that. That's all great stuff. I think you you you, you talked about how how it's it's a practice and like being fit and healthy and being a good singer and a good guitar player, whatever. It's all a practice. And if, you, if you'd never tried to do it before, you wouldn't be any good at it. And when you start to do it and you do it more, you'll get better and better and better. And that's something else that we know about our brains is we absolutely can change them and mold them and, and, and make them better and, and, and more efficient through practice. And you bring up a really good point when a person is starting to um, – be mindful and try to put some of this into practice to make uh, good uh, money decisions is that relapse is not if it's when. And sometimes uh, I was talking to my son explaining some of this. He's 19 and he said, Oh, I get it, dad. It's three steps forward and two backward. Hmm. And I said, that is exactly right. And so it's to to have compassion uh, with yourself as you're learning uh, this new practice. Um, You know, when I I, I used to do a lot of yoga and I've been out of yoga now for several years. And if I went back, I would need to be very gentle with myself because I'm not going to be doing handstands right Mm -hmm. away. Yeah. I love it. Rick, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Well, you know, especially with what is happening today, I think uh, my tip is really uh, um, 
very practical and very left brain. And that is to do to do this work and and start establishing an emergency reserve so that you can withstand six months to a year of not having a job. And I think we saw that the importance of that in 2008 and we kind of got it and then we forgot it. And we kind of, as a society, went back to our old ways. And now here we are in uh, 2020, and we're starting to see all over again the importance of having that reserve. So we could spend a whole session on how to build that. But -hmm. if there's one thing that can really, really, really make a difference and reduce anxiety and really be a kind thing to do for ourselves, it's figuring out how to do that. Well, I think that is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. And I just couldn't agree with you any any more. So, amen. Well, Rick, thank you so much for coming back on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Well, you can go to Financial Awakenings, plural, financialawakenings.com. That's my blog. Or you can go right to my website at kaylerfinancial.com and I've got lots of information there and you can also get to the blog from there. And on the blog, I've got, I'm going to say over 15 years of articles. So if uh, you're looking for a topic, get in there, uh, search on it. And then you can also sign up for my weekly uh, article that uh, comes out every Monday. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Rick your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to financialawakenings.com, go to kaylerfinancial.com, and sign up for sign up for for the weekly story as well. And I can certainly attest, and now everybody else knows who's listening, what a thoughtful person, thoughtful guy Rick is. So definitely encourage you to check out all those resources. Thank you again, Rick. Yep. Thank you, George. Enjoyed it. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.